Welcome to the best kept secret video cast and podcast from Centricity. If you're a B2B service professional, use our five-step process to go from the grind of chasing every sale to keeping your pipeline full with prospects knocking on your door to buy from you. We give you the freedom of time and a life outside of your business. Each episode features an executive from a B2B services company sharing their provocative perspective on an opportunity that many of their clients are missing out on. It's how we teach our clients to get executive decision makers to buy without being salesy or spammy. Here's our host, the co-founder and CEO of Centricity, Jay Kingley. I'm Jay Kingley, co-founder and CEO of Centricity. Welcome to our show where our guests share their provocative perspective on what their target market is missing out on. I'm happy to welcome to the show, Joran Uphelt, founder of Illustrious. Joran helps business executives simplify complex problems, align leaders and teams, and transform their businesses. Joran is based in Asheville, North Carolina, Welcome to the show, Joran. Thanks, Jay. This is the first time I've been introduced as um, being from Asheville because we just moved here in December from Florida. So exciting to be here. Thanks for having me. One of the things that I have found is probably the hardest thing about business is leadership. In fact, I know lots of people that start companies where they're just the solopreneur and they never want to have people on their team because it's so hard and it's such a struggle. And I think that People struggle because there really isn't a lot of great training, coaching, and mentoring how to be how to become effective leaders. Because personally, I don't believe leaders are born. I believe that they can be developed. Uh, I think leaders struggle to understand how to engage and inspire their teams. I don't think that they have great methods and approaches for how they engage and how they communicate uh, with their teams. And as a result, so often people get disillusioned with the other people that they're working for. And when someone says, I hate going to work, and what I hate most about going to work is the people that I have to interact with, with my boss, with the boss's boss, with the head of the company, very uninspiring. As the old saying goes, that never ends well. Now, Joran, I know that you spend a huge chunk of your time working with executives, working with leadership and their teams, trying to make things more effective. I would love your take on what do you see as the big issues as to why leaders often struggle in that role. Well, you've set it up pretty well. You know, we're not taught how to lead historically. Uh, You know, even someone that goes through, you know, and the academic process or business school, that's not something we're shown or taught and it's rarely modeled. I'll say it's rarely modeled well for us. And, uh, you know, in an increasingly complex business environment, as we go forward into the future and we are surrounded by you know, many screens and devices, and we've got this continuous partial attention happening, and we've got scaling, you know, ideally scaling organizations that we're leading. Yeah, there's a tendency to blame and finger point, uh, you know, uh, away from ourselves at the market or others or circumstance. And, you know, that there are things that uh, happen in organizations like, you know, people just not showing up, people not being honest, people not 
getting their hitting their goals, people holding back, people being withholding uh, where they, you know, used to bring a bunch of great ideas to the table, ineffective meetings, right? Uh, Churn, staff turnover, all of this stuff. You can, as a leader, point at that and say, well, I don't have a good team, right? You can blame them. You can blame what's happening around you. And uh, the, the reality is that you need to be showing up as a leader. The other thing you can do is finger point at yourself. The other thing you can do is blame yourself and say, I deal with a lot of coaching clients who are either, I, I don't want to be that kind of manager. I don't, you know, I came from that environment. I'm trying to do this differently. I'm not, I'm trying to show up as a different, you know, kind of, kind of manager or director or CEO. And they don't really step into that leadership role, you know, and that's, you know, using you mentioned people leaving jobs. There was a recent report uh, that came out, uh, the future of work, and it said I think sixty five percent of millennials have left a job because of their manager. You know, and it's the platitude of people don't leave bad jobs; they leave bad managers. You know, this is the reality that we live in. So, stepping up and being a leader, and um, knowing. You know, knowing that the best leaders um, lead from the bottom of the period pyramid, sorry, from the bottom of the pyramid, that they get the best results through other people. That's a key. That's a key to being a, a you know a leader in this future complex business world that we're all co-creating. You said something I think that's very interesting. I just want to explore a little bit with you, which is blame. And I, it's very interesting then that people often point the finger of blame outwards. Um, and you're saying, well, often they do, but there are also many cases where people point that finger back at themselves. And then you get what I call is the woe is me, woe is me. And nobody wants to be around woe is me. It's that black uh, cloud, so to speak, of doom and gloom. And it could be woe is me or it could be, oh, well, I was never shown. I was never taught. And, you know, as a team member, it's like, well, then go read a book or something. Go study up, brush up on how to do this, man. You're leading us, you know. Right. So what I wanted just to very briefly hit on is the difference between blame and, and we'll go even further and say making excuses versus honest learning and saying, you know, I want to understand what happened here. I want to understand why it happened because it wasn't the outcome that I wanted. And what am I going to do differently next time so that the outcome is certainly different and, and hopefully more along the lines of doing that. And, and when you go through that process, do you have any, any points of view about should that be self-reflective? Should that be I need to get the members of my team uh, involved and have an honest constructive conversation? Is it a combination? Your experience, Jordan, and what works best? I'm a huge believer. It's like my favorite quote in the world. Uh, this, this line from T. Harv Eker, it's how you do anything is how you do everything. So look at how you're showing up in all of your relationships, your friendships, your family relationships. How are you leading in other ways? How are you solving those problems? How are you communicating clearly and effectively in those situations? How are you learning from things you could have said differently or framed differently or, you know, how are you getting better all the time? And then just do that with your team. So I imagine that we have many listeners that are shaking their head like this saying, I know, I know, you know, my leadership isn't where it needs to be. Uh, the people that I work for, their leadership isn't where it needs to be. So let's talk about what you should do. 
How do you go from a middling, if if not ineffective leader, what are some of the things that you would advocate to turn that around and be an inspiring leader? Yeah, I mean, I would recommend two things, right? Inviting and aligning. So the first one is inviting people into this process and involving your team through the use of visual communication and collaboration and putting down the idea that you have to be the one with all the answers, right? Get rid of the command and control model in your brain, reprogram it, unplug it, scrub it, reboot it, and invite your people into the problem solving process. And I would recommend doing that using visual tools. And then aligning happens once you have successfully cast a vision and, you know, deployed the mission. You align that team around some kind of balanced approach along, you know, management methods or innovation horizons. What is the quick win? What is the short term thinking we need to deploy here versus the long term thinking we need to apply in our innovation portfolio? Right. Aligning their, your team uh, is then that second step. But I would use visual tools to get there. So you talk about the importance of uh, communication, you know, which clearly makes a lot of sense. But you've been two or three times. You were very specific on to you the value of visual communication, visual tools. You know, how about amplifying that? Give us some examples of what you mean and why visual gives you uh, a lot of return, if you will, on that technique compared to, let me just get people around the table or on a Zoom call and start wagging my finger. Yeah, for me, visual communicate, you can you can communicate visually if you think visually. So for me, visual thinking is different from design thinking. Design thinking is where you're moving in iterations and you're kind of thinking like an artist in versions and scratching that and testing and experimenting and validating. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about visual thinking, which just means you, as opposed to thinking like an artist, you are behaving like an artist. When you need to talk about a concept, you draw a picture of it, right? When you need to host a meeting, you have a visual agenda using a visual pie chart or, a, you know, anything like that. Visual tools, you know, it's proven that visual communication connects with our brains faster, we're able to process the information, retain that information longer. All of that is proven science. So visual thinking leads to visual communication. And that's how I recommend leading every meeting, every engagement. And this looks a lot then like, you know, it looks like visual storytelling then when you see this happen in a group. It looks like people kind of gathered around a fire drawing pictures on the wall, you know, and whether that's a, a team retro or a customer journey map or a cone of plausibility, you know, moving into the future. If you put that image on a wall and you gather your team around it, it's it's similar to the pushback, which we experience in, in facilitation and consulting, too. You want people to push back on concepts. If I'm talking about a tree in a forest and somebody thinks I'm talking about a pine tree, that's not going to be an effective meeting. I need to be able to say, no, it's an apple tree and there are green apples on the tree and it's not standing alone in, in, in the orchard. It's got a bunch of trees around it. We are super clear as a team what we're talking about. We are painting done at that point. And that's why getting these images on a wall, thinking visually, communicating visually is so important. It's effective. It's faster. You know, it empowers your team to be involved in that process and, and, and leading just becomes really easy at that point. I think you, you're putting something that I think is very interesting that the whole visual storytelling, visual thinking is definitely a twist that I haven't really heard before. And I think that is 
well worth exploring. But I'm sitting here saying to myself, sounds good, but how does it move the needle for my business? So when you have done what you advocate, when when you have either worked with clients or seen other companies that have used these techniques, how do you see the business benefiting? What are, what are some of those objective metrics that you can point to to demonstrate effectiveness? Uh, most recently, we worked with a big, big software company, a uh, sales software company, and we built a journey map for them that was focused on their complex sales deals and their, and their discovery process and, and all the way from discovery to close. So we built a mural for them, uh, you know, because they were struggling with, you know, people sticking to the, they have a sales process. They're a huge company. They need all their salespeople to do the same thing. It's replicable and scalable for a reason, right? So they needed a map built that every salesperson could adhere to and every sales, you know, manager, mentor, or coach could go in asynchronously and set up for these coaching calls and, Talk about the you know the discovery process, the stakeholder map. Who are you talking to? Who else is connected to the deal? Who else is holding the purse strings? All of that, uh, all the way through to close. And so, doing that visually has optimized those coaching calls. It has increased their adoption and adherence to that very important process for a company as large as they are. And you know, I can think of the other example of just we do OKRs visually, and you can sit around as a group that we. Um, also worked with a, like a global AV uh, company that had 13, you know, strategic initiatives. If we're talking balanced scorecard, these are, these are high level initiatives. These are what they were calling quote unquote, must win battles, right? These are things we must do, right? Well, for a team, an executive team of 12 people, you can't hold 13 must win battles in your head all the time, especially what for Q1, I got to think of these 13 things. These are all equally important. That can't be true, right? So just breaking it down visually into the OKRs process and saying, okay, what are the top three things we need to be able to recite in the hallway? Like these, can my team reflect back to me what our top three priorities are this quarter? Um, we were able to do that visually through the OKRs process. So it's, yeah, it's transformative and it's impactful. We talk about leadership and one of the things that leaders have to do is lead their teams, their organizations from where they are to where they're trying to get to. And one of the things we know is change is hard. I think human beings are wired to resist change. So I want you to comment on the perspective of, you know, I'm the leader of a, of a business unit or an entire company. I'm hearing what you're telling me that I ought to do to make things more effective. And that requires me to change. Can you talk about the emotional side? If I'm that leader who's got to green light moving forward along the lines that you say, emotionally, where am I starting from and where am I going to end up? Yeah. So change, I mean, I think change becomes with, uh, begins with becoming self-aware. And I think that any leader who all of a sudden has the insight or the reflection that, oh, this is on me. I need to change. There's something in my habits or my behavior or my, you know, my routine that, that needs to shift. 
that needs to be rethought, right? There are a couple ways you can do that. One, I think um, Michael Bungay Stanier talks about it in the coaching habit. You know, let's talk about the steps to changing and, and creating new habits. It's if I, instead of doing this thing, when this thing happens, right? Instead of X, I will Y, right? And then you work that. I mean, it's like a muscle. You're not going to get it right the first time. And it does take time and it does take work, but it is, it is like a muscle. And everybody benefits. Uh, the benefits for you at the end then are you're leading from the bottom of the pyramid now. Now you've got a team that you have painted done for. You are now confident in the entire stakeholder team and you know that you've painted done for them. You know that you have been explicitly detailed with your vision or your expectations and you've set that up for them to, to get those results. And sometimes, you know, you don't care how they get those results as long as they get those results, but you have that faith and that confidence in your team that alone can be liberating as a leader, because as a, as a CEO or as a founder, you know, you stay awake nights thinking, oh, are they going to build the thing I want to build, you know, and you just, you doubt, doubt, doubt. I mean, and, and like we talked about earlier, having that, that clarity and that wisdom to just know the difference between what is a short-term project, what is the thing that's going to fire the team up in the, in the short term and inspire them to, to stay motivated and incented, right? And versus long-term thinking, there's a wisdom and a clarity that comes with that. And the strength of the visual vocabulary, the strength and the speed, you know, it feels like you're a superhero all of a sudden. You can communicate faster and more clearly to more people. Uh, yeah, I think that there's a strength and a confidence that comes with developing and nurturing uh, visual thinking, not only in yourself, but in your team. It reminds me when you have a team and that team really gels and really begins to perform. I like your analogy. You're leading from the bottom of the pyramid. I, I think what you get is what I'll call the proud mama or the proud papa syndrome. It, it just really fills you up with pride and joy at what others are achieving, knowing that you had something to do with giving them the space, creating an environment that allowed them to flourish. So I, I think you, you made a fairly compelling case for moving into this style of leadership using visual storytelling, thinking, and tools. So, okay, I'm in. Now what do I do? How do, how do I actually make this happen? Uh, you know, there are three things we talk about in visionary leadership, but we, we talk about this kind of three steps you can take, right? And the first step is you have to, as a leader, take ownership of the problem. You have to take a real hard look at your planning and your systems and your processes and the way you, the style of communication and leadership, all of that. And you have to really ask the hard questions. Does everybody have access to the things they need, you know, to become these collaborative visual thinkers you're expecting them to be? Have you provided them with the necessary onboarding and training? Are you, you know, painting done around what success looks like for their specific role and how you see them fitting into your future vision? Like all of this is important. So you have to step one take ownership of the problem. It is on you. And if it's not any of that's not happening, you've got to own it and start doing better, right? Bottom line. Uh, second thing uh, we say is break the big thing into smaller things. You know, this is, this is, this can feel overwhelming and it's a lot to do, you know, okay, we've done our customer experience journey, but now we've got to change these 20 things in the process or in the company. Where do we even start? Right. It's like cleaning out a closet, like take the things out and sort them and organize them and visually stack them and talk about what you're keeping and what you're tossing. And is it urgent versus important? And you've got to lay those things into a plan and you start that by putting things into smaller and smaller buckets, then you can implement. Uh, and then that third 
really important, right? It should be the first thing because it's the most important, but it's the last is ask for help. You cannot do this alone. You've got to let your need for control go, you know, and not let it keep you from greatness. And we talk a lot about the genius zone, which Gay Hendricks talks about in The Big Leap. You know, you've got to operate not from a space of competency or excellence, but your zone of genius, right? Which means you've got to delegate offload some of these things to other people and you know you've got to ask for help and that's hard for people like we've said it's we we are not in a culture especially as men sometimes and trained for and modeled to, you know to in order to ask other people for help you've got to stop and ask for help and you know those scrum masters that, you know, those aren't the only people who can put stickies on a wall. Those, you know, hip looking creative directors, those aren't the only people in your organization who can think creatively. And those innovation teams that you've created aren't the only ones who can test and validate ideas and make the business better. All of this stuff has to be scaled throughout. Uh, and it starts by asking for help. Very thought provoking. One of the things that, uh, as you're talking has come into my mind is this idea of being visionary and how visionary is a visual tool and how that leads straight towards being able to visualize what it is that you want to achieve that visual thinking and then needing to have tools and engagement that uh, seems to all tie together. So at this point, Joran, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to learn a bit more about you. Are you wondering how much longer you have to grind and chase for every lead conversation and client? Would you like clients to knock on your door so you no longer have to pitch, follow up, and spam decision makers? While Centricity's Category of One program uses a proven five-step process that will help you get in front of the decision makers you need by spending less time doing all the things you hate. It's not cold calling, cold email, cold outreach on LinkedIn, or any other social media or even spending money on ads, but it does have a 35 times higher ROI than any of those things, leveraging your expertise and insights at your prospects and network value. The best part, even though you'll see results in 90 days, you get to work with the Centricity team for an entire year to make sure you have all the pieces in place and working so you can start having freedom of time and a life outside of your business. So email time at centricityb2b.com to schedule an 18-minute call to learn more. Welcome back. We're talking to Joran Uphelt of Illustrious. Let's find out a little bit more about Joran. Let's start with what are the pain points that you resolve for your clients and why do they need you to get rid of that pain? Yeah, that's a good question because sometimes it's a little ambiguous, right? But some of the things that we hear are we're constantly pivoting and we're unable to kind of manage and respond to change in a timely fashion. It's just that things are moving too fast, right? Um, we call that either decision fatigue, right? Or sometimes even like mission or purpose fatigue. Like we've changed our North Star 10 times this quarter. Where are we even headed, right? Um, misalignment, you know, like we talked about in the beginning of the call, it's, you know, 
who is setting the North Star? Is the, does the team understand where we're going? Is everybody leaning in the same direction every 90 days? Do we have the right people in the right seats? All of that misalignment can be felt throughout, you know, um, the organization. Uh, Innovation-wise, they might be feeling irrelevant. They might feel the the pressure in the market to come up with new ideas or, or launch new new programs or products and that creative spark might feel like it's gone out. Again, going back to that, people are withholding and people aren't giving those, you know, bringing those ideas to the table. What can we do about it? What, ha- what happened? Right. Um, and, you know, sometimes just culture. Sometimes if it's, if this has gone on for a long time, there's a culture, they would never describe their own culture as toxic, but, you know, they'll say it's uninspired, it's misaligned, we've got a lot of, you know, drama, whatever. Okay, you got some toxic culture, right? So, I mean, all of these, if you're an organization experiencing this, you are at great risk of huge churn, losing your top talent, having to spend six months to onboard new talent, missing your, missing out on, you know, goals or KPIs and and losing money. So, that's that's what we listen. That's what we have our antenna up for. One of the things that you were, I think, very articulate about in the first part of our show was the need for a leader to let go, a need for a leader to get beyond command and control and look outside of themselves to a team, be it internal or external. So that always reminds me of that old saying, you are the company you keep. And I think when someone looks to work with another company to help them, they want to know that they're working with the best because that is actually a reflection on them and the standards that they set and how they see themselves. I have to respond to that because when you said you are the company you keep, what I heard was the double entendre of not only surround yourself with amazing people who make it look easy and can, you know, do what you need, but you are the company you keep. You are the organization that you're leading, right? Like it's it's both of those things. And, you know, I would say that the, the degree or amount of change that's available within the organization is equal to the degree and the amount of change that an account champion or a leader can sustain. The organization will bear what the leadership can bear, right? It is directly transferable. Indeed. And I I wish I was actually the author of that Hmm. quote, but I fear I was beaten to it by that uh, very wise individual who goes by the name of Anonymous. (laughs) (laughs) I love that guy or girl. I love that woman. Yeah, that person. We'll just go with that person. Uh, so having uh, said that, it, it certainly uh, begs the question when people look at Illustrious and, and looks at you uh, to understand what is it that makes you great at what you do uh, so that people can latch onto that when they're looking for help. What makes us great, uh, I would I would go back to our values. Like we have a set of values that we kind of live by, as every organization should. Right. We've got uh, three values that I think articulate who we are and what we believe. Um, You know, we are creative and we're outside the box thinkers. So energizing creativity is is one of our core values. Uh, we are committed to quality outcomes, which means that if we have to redo something, you know, and iterate again to get it right and get all the misspellings out and get the colors matched by the hex code and, you know, proofread the email five times, we do that. I don't want work going out to the client that, you know, 
looks anything less than stellar. So we are committed to quality outcomes for our clients. And we are really curious. We are compassionately curious, we say. Uh, we ask questions because we are. We're coaches and facilitators and consultants in that art of inquiry and getting to the next why um, is the game we play. You know, that's how we learn. That's how we get better. So we are compassionately curious. And I will say, because I've mentioned the coaching we do a couple of times, I will say that I would put a fourth value in there. And that is a really deep seated belief in human potential. Like when I am with clients, I, I don't see them as the story they're telling. I see them as the white hot center, that light that is in them and that potential that they have to kind of unfold and become and grow. Um, that's what I see. And that's, that's who I'm working with. I encourage our listeners to go to LinkedIn, uh, look up Jordan, look at his profile. I think you'll be impressed. You'll get a sense of uh, how he's got to where he has in terms of his education, his work experience. But Jordan, I'm, I'm going to go in a slightly different direction. Uh, I would like to understand what happened in your life that would most explain why you do what you do today. Back in, I think, 94 or 95, I worked for, I just needed a job and I needed to get in somewhere and start making money. And I worked all kinds of jobs, but I thought, man, if I need, if I can get a good job, I'll be set. Right. So I thought, uh, you know, here we are in Florida. The Florida Spine Institute was this really premier medical organization in the area at the time. Uh, if I can get a job there, I'll be set. And so I got a job as a transcriptionist. Don't ask me how, but I got it. And my first day on the job, I was listening to the, you know, the notes and, you know, I just picked up my yellow legal pad and the blue ballpoint they gave me and I was just doodling. I probably, uh, dragon or a skull or a, something, you know, just kind of doodling in the margins of my paper. And I felt this pat, this hand on my shoulder and like, come with me and uh, dragged into the office and fired on the spot day one, fired for doodling. And it rocked me. Like it was, I was like, oh, okay. Am I going to have to put down my creative self? Am I going to have to change who I am at my core to like grow up and have a job in the adult world? And it really affected me for a while until I landed on a team of creatives and, and realized, no, there's a tribe of people out here doing creative work and making money at it. But uh, that I think is why I do what I do so that people know you don't have to be so rigid as to not doodle in the margins. And sometimes doodling in the margins makes your work better or more effective. Like that, if there's something I can communicate, it's that is that it doesn't have to be either or business doesn't have to be a yellow legal pad with a blue ballpoint pen. Like it can be, it can be skulls and dragons and mythic quests and whatever you want to make it. Talk about visual imagery. I'm seeing your picture in the format of a, a most wanted type style. Uh -huh. <laughs> And on it, it says, Joran Oppelt, fired for doodling. Fired for doodling. That's right. Like with my little, <laughs> Except little numbers number. there. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, it just really goes to show you that sometimes uh, something that happens that is not, was not in your plan and would not be considered by many to be a good thing turns out to be a critical aspect that actually transforms you and gets you on and transitions you into a much better path. I love that. Now, Joran, I know that a lot of folks that are listening are going to find this as intriguing as I have. They're going to want to reach out and uh, see how they can continue the conversation 
with you, how best to do that? It's best to email me. You know, if you go to our website, which is, I've been a little clever with our domain name, it's illustrious, but the O is the dot. So it's illustri.us. You have to kind of play with language a little bit there. Uh, so my e you can go to the website or you can email me at joran at illustri.us. And I will put that in the show notes to make it uh, easy for uh, folks to reach out and get in touch with you. Uh, this was uh, incredible, thought-provoking, uh, I think, causing us to take a step back and reconsider how we have been doing things, how we have been leading, how we communicate, how we work with our teams. And who out there, if you're sitting in my seat, wouldn't be absolutely thrilled, Jorn, with what you've brought to the table today? Well, I will answer that question. Uh, probably everybody sitting in my seat would be thrilled with that, except for me. It was great. I think you can do even better. And I am here, you know, advocating always for our listeners. And let, let me tell you what I'm thinking you can do to sweeten the pot even more. Okay. Uh, I'd like you to do something. I'd like you to offer something. We can call it a gift, if you will, for our listeners that will just take everything you've done and make it that much better, if you will. The sprinkles on the icing on the cake. Jordan, what can you do? So I've got uh, I've got your choice of either a Lego set or a <laughs> sand timer. I've got a three, two, and one minute sand timer. No, I can think of, uh, you know, we talked a lot about the book, the uh, last book we put out, Visionary Leadership. We talked a lot about that book today. Um I can offer, let's say, like the three, first three chapters of that book as a sample uh, for people who want to email me at jornetillustry.us, and I will reply with a link where you can download the chapters from the book. How about that? Fabulous. Just uh, to our listeners, uh, just make sure that Jorn knows that you heard him on the Best Kept Secret show. Yes. But subject line, Best Kept Secret podcast, and I'll, I'll send a link out. And, and then uh, you'll be able to take your learning and understanding that much deeper and then follow that up with a reach out to Joran and actually continue that uh, conversation as a dialogue. Joran, I want to thank you so much for being truly an amazing guest on our show. To our audience, let's continue to crush it. Until next time.